Welcome back to Agent Investor, inspiring stories of active agents investing in real estate and building passive income. In a business where potential deals are all around you, why not leverage your skills to invest for yourself, your family, and your future? And now, let's jump into the latest episode of Agent Investor. So, here we are. Market has shifted. And uh, agents are on the forefront of that. Agents know that the market has shifted. In fact, I put out the stacks yesterday from a guy named John Burns. If you guys aren't following John Burns Consulting, I would highly, highly recommend it. John Burns interviews and polls over 1,000 real estate agents per month asking them different questions about the market. And the data that John Burns has come out with is definitely interesting because again, as agents, we're on the forefront seeing this stuff in real time. John Burns last month interviewed over a thousand agents and this is what he came up with. A survey of over 1,000 agents had 35% of all agents saying that their markets are mostly decreasing. 45% said that their markets are flat, and 20% of their markets are mostly increasing. Now, this is this is no you know uh, analytical data. This is just kind of off the cuff. But again, as real estate agents who are hosting open houses, who are pricing properties, who are seeing how the market is responding right now. We're on the forefront of this. So again, 35% mostly decreasing, 45% flat, and 20% mostly increasing. Now, one more stat that he came up with, again, with a survey of over 1,000 agents, he found that 72% in March of 2022, just, what is it, April, May, June, July, August, September, just six months ago, 72% of all properties got multiple offers. As compared to last month, only 34% of all properties got multiple offers. That is a huge, huge discrepancy, right? About half of all the properties in the last six months have, have gotten multiple offers. So the, this begs the question. So, so real estate agents know that the market's shifting. And real estate agents who invest in real estate or help their clients invest in real estate want to know what we should do. And the answer for me is always, always that we should never stop investing. In fact, there's a quote by Warren Buffett that I'm sure many of you have heard before. But the quote, and I'm probably going to screw it up a little bit, but we should be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy. I'm going to say that again really quickly. We should be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. So in the last few years, there's definitely been a lot of greed in, in multiple areas of the market, not just a real estate market. So anytime that the vast majority of people think prices are going to go up and up and up, there's going to be no stop, there's going to be no recession, there's going to be nothing negative going on, that's the time when we as investors have to be a little bit more careful. And when everybody starts thinking that the sky is falling, that's typically when there's going to be opportunities. 
So I have a close friend um, that I started in the business with uh, over 10 years ago, a fellow CPA. For those of you who don't know, I was a licensed CPA. I gave up my CPA license a couple years back, but we both uh, worked in the accounting world. We both got into the real estate world and he now has a mailing business, a cash offer mailing business where um, he sends out mailers for myself and other investors, the typical like sell your house fast for cash, call this number direct to get a cash offer on your house. His business in the last 90 days is down over 35%, which means that there are 35% less mailers hitting mailboxes than there was 90 days ago. So what does this mean for, for investors like myself who are not going to stop mailing, who will never stop marketing? This means that those who are going to continue to market are going to actually see a 35% increase, roughly, in the results that they get. Okay, keep that in mind. This is going to be kind of a common theme for the whole session. And by the way, you know, I just have to put the, the disclaimer out there. I don't know every, everything. Uh, nobody does. Most of what I'm going to talk about today isn't necessarily predictions on where the market's going to go, but how we should react based on what we're seeing. We are certainly in a very volatile time right now. In fact, as of this morning, uh, most of the stock market indices are down over 3%, which is a pretty big drop in one day. That tends to be that 3% marker tends to be about the most that we drop in a day um, on days that are not like a, you know, a, a Black Monday, right? So, so 3 4% usually tends to be about the biggest drops. We're having a big drop as I'm literally talking right now. And the reason for that big drop is the um, CPI, the, the Consumer Price Index just came out this morning, and we have more than expected inflation. Now, we've had high inflation for a while now, uh, but they were actually expecting inflation to kind of, you know, go down just a little bit. Um, and, and no, it didn't. It did not. So, so what that means, and I don't want to get too much on a tangent about what's happening today, but what that will probably mean is that the Federal Reserve is going to be a little bit more aggressive with their rate increases. And if you actually look at the 10-year Treasury today, the 10-year Treasury is up, which means that mortgage rates in the next few days, if not already, are going to be up even a little bit more. So forget about what's happening today. Just understand that we're in a very, very volatile market. And whatever I say today might change in the next 30 to 60 days. So it's not about predicting what's going to happen. It's, it's just understanding that we have to be right now because the market is so volatile we have to really tune in to what's happening on a third 30 day increments because depending on what happens and again you know the 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 news that just came out today if it had gone the opposite way the 10 year treasury would be down and mortgage rates would be dropping over the next couple of days so this stuff is very volatile it's hard to predict so everything i'm going to talk about today is again not what's going to happen necessarily but how to react to the different scenarios that will happen. When I think about what's going to happen over the next six months, year, you know, three years, I tend to put probabilities on different things. But I like to think more in terms of probabilities. 
what's the probability that the market will be up 10% next year? What's the probability that we'll be flat? What's the probability that we'll be down 10%? And instead of saying, hey, this is definitely what's going to happen because there are so many variables, we have to look and say, all three of those scenarios are possible. Now, I might say that the market going up, the real estate price is going up another 10% next year. The odds of that are probably pretty low, in my opinion, but there is not 0% chance that that will happen, believe it or not. There's going to be a low percent, but not zero, okay? So again, another common theme that I'm going to talk about today is it's always a good time to invest. It's always a good time to invest. But what changes are the strategies that you need to implement in order to be successful? When I got into real estate investing in 2008, 2009, we were literally like, I mean, the sky was falling. The S&P 500 got all the way down to, I think it was like 600, and it's at like 4,100 today. Um, there was blood in the streets. There was foreclosures everywhere. There were short sales everywhere. And you know how you got a great deal back then was as simple as buying a property on the MLS, buying a property um, at auction, um, you know, meeting with a seller face to face and doing a short sale. That is stuff that we have not done in the last six, seven, eight years. Okay, so there was a ton of money to be made back then. There's always money to be made in investing, but the strategies that we implement change depending on what's going on in the market. So somebody just commented, can't predict with certainty about probabilities, as you said. It's understanding how to respond to what happens. Also, as you said, yes. Again, it's all about understanding how to respond. And, and it's about what strategies do you implement um, as the market is shifting. And already, like, we've changed our strategies. So, um, you know, not everybody that's tuned in right now knows kind of like what my business is. So I'm just going to say it really quick so you all have a little bit more of a perspective. So I have a real estate brokerage that has about 350 agents. I fix and flip about 150 houses a year. I have um, a rental property portfolio and in the process of building 300 new construction apartment buildings. Uh, not buildings, sorry. 300 new construction apartment units. Okay. So that's my perspective on that's what I do. And I, I'm continuing to operate, you know, doing all of those things. So the strategies I'm taking, though, in my business have, have changed. Okay. So with that being said, now I want to talk about some of the most important kind of like indicators in the market that you want to pay attention to. One thing I'm going to say is that when we talk a little bit about economics, it, it's very, very common that people make things very simplistic, meaning like they only focus on one variable. And that one variable could be like inflation. That one variable could be like interest rates. The one variable could be supply and demand. You know, if you're paying attention to the media, they're going to highlight one of these things and almost make it seem like there's only one variable that controls the market. When in reality, although that would be really nice, um, it's not that simple. There are many, many forces at stake that really depend on what's going on in the market. And I'm going to talk about those forces today. And I want you know you guys to kind of think about like how to react to the different forces and what you should be paying attention to. So the forces I'm going to talk about right now are employment, wages, inflation, interest rates, the stock market, rent versus own, supply and demand, building constraints 
trains on what renters and buyers want and human emotion and sentiment. Sounds like a lot, right? Unfortunately, all of these play a big role into what's going on in the economy and the real estate market. And we can't just focus on any one of those individually. So I'm going to talk about them. And again, I'm going to tell you the things that you should be kind of thinking about as this data comes out. And then at the end of the presentation today, again, I'm going to give you more like strategies to implement um, based on what we believe are the most likely scenarios. So unemployment, you know, unemployment and wages are, are obviously super important. Um, if you were to have asked me 90 days ago where I would have thought unemployment would have went, I would have predicted that unemployment would have been up more than it is right now. The labor market right now has been extremely, and I mean extremely resilient. Um, anybody that has skills of any kind can go out into the market and get a job in their field, almost without question. And most employers, their number one issue, including our company, the number one issue is getting talented individuals. Okay. Now, what you want to keep really like at the top of your mind, obviously, unemployment is something that drives both rents and purchasing power, right? Because when somebody loses their job, I mean, this is going to be a really simplistic statement, but when people lose their jobs, they can't pay rent typically and they can't now qualify for a house. Okay. So, as of right now, even though there's been, you know, a shift in the market, we really haven't had, you know, a much of a change in unemployment. And that's pretty big. That could definitely change this whole, the whole dynamics of the situation. But as of right now, that hasn't really been a problem. Um, related to unemployment is wages. So wages, obviously, again, are super important. Wages drive how much people can pay for rent. Wages drive how much somebody literally gets underwritten for on a mortgage. Wages in general go up over the course of time. Inflation helps wages. So inflation is simply the printing of money. Um, when people talk about inflation and when the media tends to talk about inflation, they tend to talk about like the rise in prices. The rise in prices is actually the effect of printing money. Right. So printing money is the inflation. The money has already been printed and it's actually continuing to be printed. And so the more money that gets printed, the more goods and services get chased with that money. So the more money that's out there, it chases every type of good and service, including wages. So as wages go up, the ability to, for people to pay more rent and to qualify for more is always impacted. And wages in general, like I said, they tend to go up over time, which helps long-term rental assets and also helps real estate prices. And again, as of right now, we really haven't seen any drops in wages. I would probably anticipate more unemployment. I don't know that we'll see a big drop necessarily in, in wages, okay? All right, the next thing, though, to keep an eye on, and this is a huge one, this is the one that's like all over the media right now is inflation. And like I said, inflation by definition is simply printing more money, which we have done a lot of, not just in the United States, but in most countries in the world, inflation has happened. Money has been printed. 
that that money that's been printed is now chasing goods and services, including real estate, stocks, bonds, like everything across the board, right, has been driven up by the printing of money. Now, one thing I want to point out is just that typically what the government puts out for inflation stats tends to be lower than what the reality is. So you can go to a website called shadowstats.com. And shadowstacks.com actually shows you what the inflation increase has been, what the increase in prices have been, as measured how they were measured in the 1980s prior to this change taking place. So if you think about it like this, and I know not everybody you know is a A plus in economics. I'm not an A plus myself, but I understand enough to be kind of deadly. Inflation you know, is measured in a bunch of different ways. Like they take a bunch of different goods and services, et cetera. But the way that it's measured was changed in the 80s because inflation was so bad back then that they actually changed it so that it would be reported lower. So if you go to shadowstacks.com, what you'll actually see is that inflation is higher than the 8, 9, 10% that's being reported. And it tends to be underreported by like three or four or five percent on average. So you just keep in mind that no matter what you see, like as the headline print on CNBC or CNN or whatever news station you follow, it's probably actually a little bit worse. Hey everyone, this is Tom Caffarella. I want to quickly interrupt the podcast to number one, thank all of my loyal listeners of the Asian Investor Podcast and tell you guys really quickly about an exciting event we have coming up. Uh, it's a two-day event. It's called the Passive Income Real Estate Investor Event um, that you can find out more details at PassiveIncomeEvent.com. We're going to be doing a two-day training session teaching all of the agents and all of the investors at the event on how to achieve financial freedom through real estate. If you're like me and your goal is to not work 80, 100 hours a week grinding, selling real estate, flipping homes, um, definitely check out this event. We're going to teach you how to build a passive income portfolio so that you can retire, so that you can work when you want, how you want, and ultimately achieve financial freedom. So again, go to PassiveIncomeEvent.com for more details. And we look forward to seeing you at the upcoming event. Now, my question that I would pose to all of you is we're talking about how this impacts real estate. And I'm just curious, for those of you who are listening, tap into the chat box. Is inflation good or bad for real estate? Is inflation good or bad for real estate? Tap into the chat box. I'm just curious. What do you all think? Somebody said good and bad. That's what I think too, actually. I think um, it depends on exactly what you're trying to do, right? Somebody said bad. Somebody said good and bad. I think it, I think it depends on, again, what you're trying to do when it comes to real estate investing. Somebody said good for long-term holds. If you think about it like this, right? Again, inflation is the printing of money. The printing of money drives up the cost of things, which means that it's going to drive up the cost of wages. It's going to drive up the cost of housing. So again, if you're holding on to a long-term buy and hold asset and it forces wages up and it forces rents up and you have a fixed payment, 
inflation can be a, a pretty good thing. Now, again, somebody said good and bad. So what's the bad of that? Well, the bad of that is that even if somebody's wages, you know, have gone up, but then food's gone up, gas has gone up, they may have a difficult time, you know, paying you rent still, even though their wages have gone up. So um, I would say this, you know, again, depends on, you know, somebody said, I agree, it depends on the goal. You know, it, it it's not so simple, right? It's not so simple. But I would say, I would add one more thing to this. If you're fixing and flipping homes, right? And that the, the, the cost of houses are going up, again, that kind of helps you because it sets a little bit of a floor underneath, you know, I mean, the biggest issue you have when fixing and flipping is prices going down. So there have been houses that over the past couple of years, like we've taken a long time to renovate and we've been really lucky because the market keeps was keep going up and up and up. We actually got, you know, the wind at our back on some of those deals. So inflation something to definitely keep an eye on on. And again, you know, and it's like how much inflation too. So, but that's another thing that we definitely need to keep an eye on. The next is the stock market. The stock market is fun because it's the quickest kind of like answer that we can get to any of this stuff. So we can sit here and again, John Burns interviewed over a thousand agents to talk about like where the market's headed and whether prices are going up and down. And it's like, a lot of things with housing take a long time to, to actually get into the system. The stock market is instantaneous. So this morning, the CPI print came out high, meaning that there was higher than expected inflation data immediately. I mean, when the stock market, the, the report, the CPI report came out at 8.30, the stock market opens at 9.30 a.m. Eastern time, the stock market immediately went down 3%. So why the stock market is nice um, and why I pay a lot of attention to it when it comes to real estate is the stock market's a leading indicator of things to come in the future. So when the stock market gets hammered, a lot of times that means, if I mean, I'm talking like a big hammering, like 20%, you know, 30% when it's down big, that tends to mean that we're heading into a recession. It tends to mean that people are going to start losing their jobs. Um, so it's something to keep a really close eye on. Um, it's interesting because the stock market over the past six months has been really, really choppy. And that's why, you know, I talked about in the beginning that we have to be careful with all this data because we're in a, an environment right now where things are changing in 30 day increments. So I'm not, I'm going to misquote the month, but probably four or five months ago, we were down almost 20% from the highs on most indices, which which um, a decrease in the stock market of over 20% is officially defined as a bear market. And so again, you know, even just three or four months ago, you know, I would have said we're much more likely to be in a stronger recession than I am today with the stock market a little bit higher. And again, less layoffs than I would have guessed based on the stock market three or four months ago. But again, the stock market, if you look back to the last kind of big correction that we had in 2008, 9, 10, 11, the stock market was way ahead of the decrease in real estate. And the reason for that is simple, right? 
it's very, very easy to sell a stock at any given moment. So if you decide, hey, I'm bearish on the stock market, you can just click a button right now, like literally as we're, you know, I'm talking and you guys are all listening. If you're in the stock market right now, you can go online and click a button. Housing, of course, isn't that fast, right? And even if we make the decision to sell our house, a lot of times that house doesn't come onto the market for six months or nine months or 12 months. And then sometimes even when we make the decision to sell our house, as we're like getting ready to do it, we're like, you know what? You know, we're just going to stay. So the stock market is important because it's really a very much leading indicator of all this stuff. The next thing I want to talk about, more data put out for John Burns' rent versus own. And so I'm going to make kind of my first prediction of the day. And again, I'm putting the caveat in here that, you know, I've been wrong before. Um, Nobody has a crystal ball. But I do think there are some things that are much different about this downturn, I guess you could call it, or shift than the last one. And so John Burns put out some data on rent versus own pricing. Um, over a, um, a litany of different markets. So his rent versus own data basically um, shows like, is it more expensive to rent or own in a particular area? And of course, if you're a buyer or a renter, that's a big variable into what you're going to do, right? Because when it's a lot cheaper to buy than to rent, for most people, they're going to try to buy. I mean, for most people, they believe that buying is advantageous to renting, period. So if buying in addition is much cheaper, it's going to push more people to buy. Now, the reverse is also true. Um, When it's much, much cheaper to rent than to buy, even if somebody wants to buy, they may still rent because they may not be able to afford to buy or they may make the decision that it's just too pricey to buy right now. So I'm going to give you some interesting data and then, you know, give you my first prediction of the day. But I'm looking right now at you know, a chart in San Francisco right now, San Francisco, California, it costs $5,506 per month more to own versus rent. I did not screw that number up. $5,506 per month more to own versus rent. So that means we're talking about $60,000, $65,000 a year more to own than rent. That's a huge, huge variable. I'm going to give you some other numbers. Seattle, Washington, 1984, $1,984 more to own than rent. That's a huge number. That's $25,000 a year. San Jose, California, $4,742. San Diego, California, $1,639. Okay. Denver, Colorado, $927. Right? It's about $10,000, $12,000 more per year to own versus rent in Denver. Austin, Texas, $1,408. And I've got you know virtual friends all over the country. One market right now that's definitely taken a big hit. Well, I shouldn't say big hit. One market that has shifted quite dramatically is Austin, Texas. I don't know if we have any Austin, Texas listeners right now, but I'm not super surprised than a market that costs $1,408 more per month to own versus rent is seeing a little bit more, okay? Now, let's, let's, let's shift this to some other markets. 
okay, Jacksonville, Florida, $240 per month more to own than to rent. Chicago, Illinois, $105 per month, okay? So in, a, in an area like Chicago, it's basically flat. And actually, when you factor in, you know, t- the tax benefits of owning real estate, it's probably actually cheaper to own than to rent when you factor in the tax, the mortgage interest deduction, and the real estate tax deduction in Chicago. Okay. Then you go to Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina, 451. And now let's get into the Northeast because probably at least half the listeners right now are living in the Northeast. I'm in Boston. I know a lot of you are in New England. New York, $450 per month more to own than to rent. Again, after tax benefits, that's probably a break even. Philadelphia, $112 per month. Boston, where I live, where I'm sitting, $461 per month. Okay. So in the Northeast right now, it's pretty much a break even. And this is a dynamic that is much different than the last crash. In the last crash, because of all the crazy loans that were given out, everyone bought. Like everybody bought. Almost nobody rented. Um, It was the one time in my life that ranks went down. And I remember my parents owned a two-family in Revere, Mass. And they had a two-bedroom. And I know this isn't going to be relevant for all of you. But it went from a $1,200 a month rental to 1000 And that was simply, that was just simply because all of the renters were able to get mortgages. Because back in 2006, 2007, you could just go out. You didn't need to have income. You you, You didn't need to have a good credit score. You could just get a loan. So what's so different right now is that in a lot of major cities across the United States right now, it's really unfortunate. But a lot of buyers and renters don't have a lot of great choices, meaning that other than areas like San Francisco and San Jose and Washington, um, Seattle, Washington, it's kind of like everything's expensive. It's expensive to own. It's expensive to rent. But again, getting back to kind of my bold prediction for today, I think we're going to see a big divergence in different markets to actually what happens. And the shift that I think is going to occur, and I am betting with my own money on what I'm about to tell you, um, my opinion is that in these markets where it's basically like, you know, um, a coin toss, is it it more affordable to rent versus own? I don't think you're going to see a big shift. I don't think it, let me clarify. I don't think you're going to see a big swing in prices as compared to like in Austin, Texas, that has it's $1,408 more per month to own than to rent. So I think in those markets, you're going to see much more of a shift slash price decreases versus markets that it's basically a toss up. Okay. So again, we're talking about rent versus own. I want to continue on because I've got more to cover. Um, The number of homes being built in the United States, this is another piece of data that Uh, In an ideal world, I'd have this chart up in front of you guys. But um, millions of units built from 2000 to 2009, the year 2000 to the year 2009, there were 14.56 million housing stock units built in that 10-year period. 
2010 to 2019, they were 6.9. So less than half of the Unix were built from 2010 to 2019 as were built from 2000 to 2009. And if, if I were to show you, I put the chart up, I wish I had this in front of me that I could show you all. But basically, we've never had a decade since the 1940s where we built less than 10 million houses. And we, we just went through a decade where there were 6.9. And so far, in the first two and a half years of this decade, 0.25 million. Not 2.5, 0.25. So we've really had more than a decade of underbuilding. And there are a lot of reasons for that. Um, but it's just a fact that we've had a decade of underbuilding. Now, again, I'm going to say something that's very geographic specific, so I want to put a caveat here. But in the Northeast, those numbers are definitely even more dramatic. Definitely even more dramatic. We are definitely um, having a shortage of housing, period. There hasn't been enough housing built. Um, where I live, which is in the greater Boston area, there's almost not anywhere that you can build that's very close to the city. So again, you know, I don't want to get too much into local information because I know a lot of you are not in my market, but something to kind of just think about. All right, the next thing up, which um, this is another thing that I'm very confident on, supply and demand, okay? This is a huge dynamic. I can't overstate this dynamic enough and how it's going to impact real estate moving forward. But um, in the last five years, We've had all these people buy homes, and we've had all these people refi homes. What are the rates that people got in the last five years? Tap into the chat box. Like, what are some of the rates? You know, uh, going back over six months, like in the last five years, what were the rates? Somebody said three, basically in the threes, right? I mean, I, I have people that I know that locked in rates in the twos, rates in the twos for thirty years. Um, and now they're in the high fives, low sixes, and they're kind of just, you know, sitting there right now. And this is going to be one of the biggest variables that's going to have a huge impact on supply and demand, which is that most people aren't going to be willing to give up those two and a half, three percent, three point two five percent rates. So you have millions of people, millions upon millions of people that probably would have sold a house, but they won't because they're going to give up a 3% interest rate and go to like a 5.75. I'm going to say that again. And I know you're all, you're all in the industry, but again, I can't overstate this enough to how this is going to impact supply and demand. Most people have 3% interest rates right now. Somebody that wants to, I had somebody the other day, we went out on an appointment. To buy their house. They wanted to sell to us. They were downsizing. They were like, we want to downsize. We want to save money. We, 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 we put them under contract to buy their house. They started shopping for a house. And, and they called us. This was like, you know, recently. They called us and they said, I'm sorry, but we thought we were going to save money downsizing. We were going to buy a house that was $200,000 less. Because interest rates are so much higher right now, we would actually lose money by downsizing. That is 
going to impact millions of people across the United States. And if somebody just said they had the same situation, but they wanted to upsize. Yeah. Imagine being in a 1500 square foot house, having a nice low payment with a 3% rate. And then you go in, out into the marketplace to buy a 2,500, 3,000 square foot house. And you're thinking in your head, hey, this is going to cost me another $500,000 a month. And then you go, wait a second, this is going to cost me $2,000 more a month. And I'm just throwing numbers out there. But you all kind of, I know you get the point, which is that this is going to prevent sales from happening. Okay. Now, again. Is this a good thing or is this a bad thing? It depends. If you're an agent that doesn't invest and you only do retail sales, I can almost guarantee there are going to be less transactions. And it's interesting because I follow um, another um, company um, that I would highly recommend, Mike Simonson, Altos Research. And like he gives some really great data. And he's been tracking inventory. And basically, as soon as the stock market started crashing, like a few months ago when we were down about 20%, and when rates went from 3% to you know, 5.5%, there was a lot of inventory that got flushed onto the market. A lot of sellers got really nervous that they were going to miss the wave. And they, they, they threw a lot of inventory onto the market. The inventory... They got pushed onto the market, hit in like May, June, July, August. And it really looked like, you know, if you just looked at the data and didn't know anything else, you would say, wow, like there's inventories way up. It's going to continue to go up. And if you listen to his most recent couple of podcasts, he does one a week. They're like 10 minutes, but they're excellent. Altos Research, A-L-T-O-S. Highly recommend putting that into YouTube. But Inventory is back to where it was this time last year. Inventory is not up anymore. And again, it's the dynamic here that I just talked about. And I have so many sellers that we've been meeting with that are thinking about selling, realize it's not a good financial move. You know, somebody talked about they had a client that wanted to upsize. A lot of people are doing additions to their house now. They're, they're coming up with other alternatives um, to make their house bigger because of interest rates. And because of this dynamic. So the only way that we're going to see inventory really tick up, and this is why all of these variables play into each other, is if foreclosures go up. So foreclosures are a huge thing. Okay, Foreclosures push inventory onto the market, and foreclosures are the most motivated sellers there are. So if a bank forecloses on a house, they absolutely have to sell. You know, holding it and doing nothing with it does, no, does them no good. There has not been a big price decrease in real estate without associated foreclosures. Okay. Now, again, I'm going to, you know, make a couple predictions here. I could end up being wrong, but this is, you know, my strong opinion. In the last downturn in the market, um, banks just really acted in a very strange way. Um, they initially, from like 2007 to 2008, they let people just go and default on their loans for a long time. You know, they, they didn't foreclose for a while. But then it, it's like all of a sudden there was like one day in 2008 or 2009 
Or it's like all the banks together decided, all right, we're going to take back the houses. So they started to take back all the homes. And, and who remembers? Who was in the market in 2008, 2009, where it was like almost practically every neighborhood had a foreclosure? And there were some streets that every street had a foreclosure. Is anybody here, was anybody in the market in 2008, 2009, 2010 that remember, you know, driving up and down streets and, you know, there was at least one foreclosure in a neighborhood? Um, type into the comment section. I'm just curious to see how many of you were in the market back then. But um, so foreclosures are absolutely huge. Now, one thing that was very strange about the last time that there was a downturn and there were a ton of foreclosures. Um, all of these lenders, almost every major lender put out that they were willing to do loan modifications in 2008, 2009, 2010, they would send notices to homeowners. They would, you know, be on TV talking about that they're doing loan modifications, but they almost didn't do any, almost nobody got a loan modification back then. In fact, most of my business back then as an investor, as an agent, would be I would meet with a seller. They'd be a year behind on their mortgage. I'd walk into their living room. I'd say, hey, what do you want to do? Do you want to sell your house? And they would say, no, I want to save my house. I want to live here. I want to do a loan modification. So we would attempt to do a loan modification for them. The banks pretty much would not cooperate. And all of those either turned into short sales or foreclosures. Again, very, very few. Um, turned into loan modifications. Towards the end of that downturn, I'm talking more like 2010, 2011, 2012, the banks started really picking up on the loan modifications because the banks realized at some point that foreclosing on a house and getting 25% of what the loan is, like they, they were taking houses that they gave $500,000 loans on and only getting $150,000 at auction at some point, they realized that that wasn't that great of a business decision for them. So they started doing a ton of loan modifications, which worked out well for the banks. It worked out well for, for people. And, and I, I would be very surprised, even if, again, talking about all these variables working together, even if we saw an uptick in unemployment and people started getting behind on their houses, I'd be surprised if the foreclosures were like they were the last time because I don't think that the banks are going to take the same action because I think they learned their lesson the last time. Okay. So with that being said, inventory is probably not going to go up a ton because you have these people who have 3%, 2% rates. They aren't going to want to give them up. And also keep in mind, another thing that's a little bit different about this time is the short-term rental thing. And I'm not saying that this is going to become prevalent, but I wouldn't even be surprised, you know, if somebody has a 3% interest rate and they know that if they give it up, they're going to have to rent an apartment for way more money that they don't start having like roommates on like these short-term rental things or just having, you know, roommates live with them. So I, I, I say all of this, and this is a very long-winded way of saying that a lot of people believe that history will almost exactly repeat itself. And I think that there are a lot of fundamental differences structurally in the economy between now 
and in 2007, eight and nine. Doesn't mean that there's not going to be some pain and it doesn't mean that we shouldn't, you know, adapt because we absolutely should and we need to. But I would not bank on things exactly repeating themselves. Okay. So I don't think there are going to be a ton of foreclosures. Um, I don't think in a lot of markets there are going to be a lot of nominal price drops. And I and I say that as an economics thing. Like if somebody if the cost for somebody goes up. But the real estate prices, you know, they don't nominally drop, right? They might drop in terms of the person's earning potential, but they may not drop in dollar amounts, okay? So the next thing is, is rental prices. So again, help me out, guys, here, for those of you who are listening. In the next two to three years, do you all think rental prices will go up or down? Do you think the average cost of a two-bedroom in the neighborhood you do the most business in, do you think the rental price will go up or down in the next two or three years? I'm going to wait a second because I want to just see these responses. So thus far, not one down, all ups, all ups. And again, there are things that we're talking about today where I have a pretty good confidence factor and I feel good about. And I feel good placing my money um, on things. And there are things that I feel really confident, like really, really confident. I I feel really, really confident ranks are going to keep going up. I feel really, really confident. Could I be wrong? Yes. But I'm going to say that 90% confidence factor in the next two or three years, ranks are going to be up. Okay. There's a 10% chance they might not be in my own modeling in my head. But I'm pretty confident they're going to be up. So again, you know, we're talking about real estate investing. You know, what are we going to do here? All right. So next things are going to be, again, opinion things. Okay. So we want to talk about mortgage rates because mortgage rates are huge. What the Federal Reserve does with short-term interest rates, with the federal funds rate, is huge. Okay. So as of right now, again... The CPI just came out hotter than expected. Inflation's hot and high, and it probably is going to continue to be hot and high. The Federal Reserve has basically said out loud, we are going to continue to raise interest rates aggressively until inflation goes down. Bold prediction. Uh, My bold prediction is they do not end up executing on that to the extent that they are publicly saying it, because I don't think that they can. Um, if they were to drive interest rates up the way that they are posturing that they'll drive them up, it would not only collapse the entire economy, but it would also cause a problem for the United States because the United States pays on all these bonds. So the U.S. government going from a you know one and a half two percent federal reserve rate to six seven or eight percent would bankrupt the country so i firmly believe that we are not going to see dramatically higher mortgage rates now that doesn't mean that the mortgage rates that we have right now aren't already a problem they are already a problem going from three to six percent and maybe we'll get to seven percent maybe I don't know. I don't know if we'll see that, but we might. 
but I don't think we're going to go much higher than that. Again, this is this is more like 50, 60, 70% confidence factor. This is much weaker confidence factor than my belief that rents are going to go up. I feel very strongly that rents are going to go up. I feel pretty strongly that the Federal Reserve isn't going to jack up rates high enough to get mortgage rates much, much more higher. Um, but again, like I said, that where the rates are at right now has already been a big variable. Now, let's talk about how that that those mortgage rates impact rents, because again, we, we're talking about investing, right? Of course, we're all agents. I'm a broker owner and I'm an agent myself, but we're talking about how does it impact investing? So one of the reasons why I'm so darn confident that rents are going to go up is what happens when mortgage rates go up to some of your buyers? Has anybody here lost a buyer because mortgage rates have gone up too much? Anybody? Type it into the comment section. I'm just curious. So we all know that that's happening, right? There are buyers that are out there that are barely qualified, right? Someone said, yes, renting another year. That's, that's the theory, right? They're going to rent another year. That's in theory. They're telling you, they're telling themselves, I'm going to rent for another year. They may rent for two more years. They may rent for three more years. We don't know. But regardless, we know for a fact when interest rates go up, it knocks buyers out of the buyer pool, right? That's a fact. That's not even debatable. Where did those buyers go? They can't buy. I mean, yes, some of them are going to stay living at home with their parents. I did that when I was in my early 20s. But most of them are going to continue to rent. So what does that do to rental prices? Not only does it drive rental prices up, it also puts the very best renters into the rental market. Because the person who's been saving up a debt for a down payment, the person who has a good credit score, the person that was on the verge of buying but got knocked out because of interest rates, well, that's your very best tenant right there. So if you're owning, which everybody should own long-term rental property, if you're owning long-term rental property, this is like the best thing that could possibly happen. Again, because everybody – let's take out the sliver of people that are going to live with their parents. It's a sliver. They're there. We're not going to deny that those people don't exist because they do. But most of the people who are getting knocked out from buying have to rent, which means more demand for rentals. In fact, one thing that I'm sure some of you have seen, which is kind of crazy, is bidding wars on rentals. And bidding wars on buying homes has obviously been a thing for a while now. But I have heard now of bidding wars on rentals where people are actually bidding over what the rental asking price is. So somebody on the thread said, yes, every quarter of a point knocks somebody out. Absolutely. At every quarter of a point, some buyer is getting knocked out and they're becoming a renter. So we're talking about investing. And if we're talking about long-term ownership of assets, so you're fixing your rate. Think about this for a second. You are typically fixing a cost over the long run. You're fixing your, your interest rate expense. 
you're having depreciation, you're having tax benefits. And in this market right now, with interest rates going up, more buyers are moving to the rental pool because of those interest rate increases. You have inflation driving their salaries up, having their ability to bid those rents up. It's a good time to be a landlord. And by the way, guys, it's no secret that all of these big companies on Wall Street are trying to buy properties right now. And they've been doing so for the last few years. You know, you have companies like BlackRock and these all these companies that are buying rental properties. Um, it, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, they can't make a mistake because they absolutely can. But there's a reason why there is so much interest in long-term passive income real estate. Okay. So long-term ownership of assets is going to continue to be good. Um, but let's talk a little bit more about like the other components. So like how else are we kind of impacted by some of these changes? So I want to talk about flipping because I said to you guys a little while ago, my team this year will, will fix and flip about 150 houses. So with with price increases slowing, potentially decreasing in some markets, potentially decreasing in 2023, potentially flattening, or maybe just increasing a little bit. Again, going back to like the percentages of what I think are possible. Let's just talk in Boston because that's where I'm at. In, Bo- in a market like Boston, where renting versus owning is both expensive and one's not much more you know, affordable than the other. I think we're very likely to see a flattening of prices. And when I say flattening, nothing's ever zero. So I'm going to talk like this. I think there's a very good, probably like 75% probability that we're going to see somewhere between a negative like 2% decrease in prices to a positive 2% increase in prices, which I'm calling and, and just saying right now is basically flat. And I think for most markets across the country where renting versus owning is about the same, I think you're going to see some flat, basically flat prices in in the next 12 months. Altos Research, which again, I would highly, highly recommend ALTOS Research. He's been studying inventory for a long, long time. He's got a ton of data. He says by this time, by September right now, He can already predict accurately what the inventory will be in 2023 and also how it will impact pricing. So again, in most markets across the country, he has data that shows that basically there's going to be a flattening. However, there are some markets where he can see the inventory being pushed up already, markets like Phoenix, Arizona. And if you go to Altos Research, this is really cool. And you actually put in a city. And it doesn't have to be a major city. It can be like a small suburb. It'll actually show the prediction model. And it's really cool. Um, but again, for flippers, how does this impact me? How does this impact you if you're flipping houses? The first thing I would say about it is now is the time for flippers to be careful. We've had the wind at our back for a long, long time. Many of us have gotten actually bailed out by this increase, right? For a long, long time. 
So we just have to be careful, okay? One thing that we're doing that's a little bit, little bit of a change, and again, something I would highly recommend implementing for all of you that are thinking about fixing and flipping, have clients that are flipping, fixing and flipping, or are already fixing and flipping, is I would only do short-term flips in this market. I would only flip homes that are like 90 days and under of total construction time. Um, I think that there is enough volatility right now in this market where although I believe that in my market prices are going to be relatively flat, I don't want to take the market exposure right now. I, I, I don't feel comfortable enough to do a project that's going to take me a year to renovate because as compared to years past, I don't want that market exposure. In years past, having that market exposure helped us. So in the greater Boston or most of New England in the last year, prices were up 10%. So we held on to a $300,000 property for a year. We actually made $30,000 more. I don't want that anymore. And I would highly recommend for all of you to stay away from anything like that. 90 days or under, while it does not guarantee anything, is like you're kind of basically buying and selling in the same market. Um, real estate doesn't move that quickly, typically. So I'd feel comfortable in like a 90-day window. The other thing that I would cut out is just, it goes along with the timeline, but just big projects. And big projects in this market with inflation have been killers for us. And I think they're going to continue to be killers. And I'm talking about projects where you're putting in like $150,000 to $300,000 into a single to you know few unit property. Okay, that's another recommendation. Now I'm going to continue on with recommendations in a second. But I want to talk quickly because I've been going on for a while about the economics thing. I want to just pause for a second and make sure I want to make sure you're all invited next Tuesday at 11 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time at our office in Wakefield. We're doing another live live stream session where we focus on helping everybody in this group personally. Um, many of you who know me know I can talk. I like to talk. I like to hear myself talk. I like to prepare for these things. But one thing that I really like about doing the live in-person sessions at our office and answering the questions for the participants that show up, we've got space for like another couple of people. So if you're interested, by the way, just put the word office visit in the chat box and I'll reach out to you directly. Again, office visit in the chat box. But what I really, really like about helping people personally like that is that there's always gaps that I miss. And I, I could be, you know, going off on a tangent. I could be thinking I could be explaining things. I, I could feel like, wow, I really helped, you know, the group today. But I could miss a lot of key points and I could be on the wrong topic, right? So what we do at the live office visit that's a little bit different that I really like is, again, it'll be next Tuesday from 10.30 to 11. We have a breakfast with myself and my team, and that's just kind of hanging out, getting to know each other. From 11 to 12 at the office, we host this very live stream, but we do it live 
with the audience there and the audience gets to ask questions. So what's different is that if you're live in the audience, whatever question, whatever problem you're having in your agent investor business, we will tackle it directly with you right then and there. But then after that's over at 12 o'clock, we turn the cameras off because I know that sometimes, you know, questions may want to be private or you may want to delve into your situation a little bit more off camera. And from 12 to 1, we go into more personal situations. Again, the whole purpose of it is so that the seven or eight or nine people who are there live get to leave with basically, you know, a free consultation consultation. So if you're interested and you want to help me out by having a really cool little live stream, put office visit into the chat. Again, next Tuesday from 1030 to 1 at our office in Wakefield. So you just put office visit into the comment section. All right. So continuing on, we talked about um, long-term rental properties. I, I just don't see... I don't see rents going down. I don't see these assets as being bad to hold. Long-term buy and hold properties, whether it's a two-family, an apartment building, no matter how many units, I don't care if it's one unit, it's not a quick fix thing. And the key there is just to make sure that you're cash flowing out of the gate. It's an asset that you like. It's in a location that you like and that you can hold. The magic of buy and hold is the holding part. So if you're cash flowing out of the gate, if you're hesitant to buy a long-term buy and hold property right now, I mean, I wouldn't be because I don't think, I don't think there's going to be this incredible different prices and this incredible like buying opportunity by waiting on the sidelines. I see rents continuing to go up. And if you can hold the asset over the long haul, I think you're going to, you know, very much benefit. So we talked about flipping. The other thing I would say related to flipping, for those of you who are generating like face-to-face -face seller appointments, I want to make a point on assigning and wholesaling. So we just went through like a really crazy period of time where getting a property under contract and then selling it to an end buyer was about the most profitable that it's ever been. And I've heard a lot of people who have said, well, the market's choppy. So I'm just going to assign or wholesale. It's not going to be easy to assign and wholesale as it was in the past. And in fact, when I first started in business for, for investing in 08, 09, I can remember, remember a time where I would literally get a killer deal under contract and I would try to assign it or wholesale it for $5,000 and I couldn't even get somebody to pay me $5,000. And the reason for that is the supply and demand. Because back then, there were so many foreclosures, there were so many auctions, that people literally would just be like, yeah, I'm not gonna pay you five grand because I can just go to an auction tomorrow and get just a good, as good of a deal. So keep in mind, like if you're spending money on marketing or your plan is to generate a bunch of face-to-face -face seller appointments and your plan is to assign and wholesale, Whatever the assignment and wholesale fees that you're used to making are definitely going to shrink. No doubt. There's no doubt in my mind on that. We talked about big, bigger projects. The other thing that you want to put at the top of your mind for sure is raising capital. Now, 
the capital markets always get tighter. They always, always get tighter in a recession. So we've already seen this with some of our lenders, even like private, private lenders, hard money lenders. Some of them are pulling out or pulling back. And you're going to start to see that with commercial banks. And the worse that the stock market and the bond market and the worse the markets get, the more you'll see that. So it's very important that if you've been relying on those type of institutions in the last few years, that you are actively putting together a capital raising plan. If you have private money, if things get really bad, I don't think they're going to, but if they did get really bad, there's a saying in real estate related to cash. Does anybody know what it is? What is the saying related to cash when the market turns? Anybody know? Nobody knows, huh? I guarantee you've all, all heard the phrase before. And that phrase, oh, there we go. Cash is king. Cash is king, okay? Cash is king when the capital markets tighten up. Having access to private capital is super important if there were to be kind of a cataclysmic shift. And again, taking it back to like what things were like in 08, 09, and 10. It's really hard to get any banks to loan on real estate. And I'm not talking about FHA or VA. I'm talking about investment real estate. Okay. A lot of things have changed and now it's gotten easy. The capital markets have gotten much easier. If that changes, having a capital raising system is important. And that's something that we're teaching, by the way, at our upcoming two day event. Again, for those of you who are not registered yet, Free two-day event, November 3rd and November 4th, Thursday and Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. both days, um, free food both days, bus tour, everything's included. Um, we do have limited seating, and I'm not just saying that as a sales pitch. We have 300 people that are – we have 300 registrants for a 350-person room, and we're less than two months away from the event. So if you are interested in attending the event, please register today. I'm going to put the link into the chat, www.agentinvestorevent.com. One thing I've, I've told everybody related to the event that's important, if you're like 50% thinking you're going to come, just register because you'll save your seat. And once we hit the 350 registrants, like we won't literally be able to increase. Um, most of the hotels that we've been talking to don't have much more capacity than that. And that's probably where we're going to cap it is 350. Okay. So register today. Um, a couple more things. And then I'll take questions if there are any. Um, as the market changes, there's going to be expired listings. Um, there's a phrase that I always say, the multiple listing service, the MLS stands for the multiple losing service, meaning that you can't make money in investing on the multiple listing service. If the market shifts more, you may be able to get deals on the MLS. And in the past few years, there have been a lot of seller appointments off market that me and my team have attended that listed on the MLS. 
that closed in like 30 to 45 days. And so like one of the major benefits of selling direct to an investor was kind of like taken away from us in the past few years. Cause like we really weren't closing much faster than a traditional buyer could close and houses were going on the market on Friday, Thursday or Friday, getting an offer on Monday and closing 35, 40, 45 days later. That has started to change too. The time on the market is getting bigger and we've actually bought some properties that we initially went on the appointment. They said, no, we're going to list with an agent. They put it on with an agent for 30 days and they come back to us and go, yeah, we want to take your, take your offer. Now, the problem for them a lot of times is they still have to pay the agent. So now they're selling to us and paying an agent fee. So I say all of this because there are definitely going to be expired listings for sure. There's going to be some deals to be gotten on the MLS when there wasn't in the past few years. And at some point, seller financing could be a more prevalent thing. So that's another thing to kind of just like keep in the back of your head. With interest rates so low and people locking in these really low payments, there are going to be some people that need to sell at a certain strike price. So like, let's just take an example of, a, say, a three-family in the greater Boston area. And let's say somebody bought that property a year ago today and fixed the 3% interest rate. Well, they've probably got a pretty good payment schedule, but they probably have no equity anymore. So they can't sell without short selling. But somebody could, in theory, have them sell or finance that and take over those payments for a period of time. So there's all these different things that could potentially happen. Um, and if you're an agent right now, the other thing that, of course, is always relevant, what's going to be even more relevant is pricing properties correctly out of the gate. And we've all been guilty of this, myself included, where you maybe overprice a property because the seller's pushing back on you. That's not going to work anymore. It's definitely not going to work anymore. You're not going to get bailed out like you used to. Those properties are going to sit, and a lot of those are going to become expired listings if you can't have the good conversation with your seller up front. So I know I covered a bunch. I definitely went over time. Most of you stayed with me, which I appreciate. What questions do you all have, if any? Um, I'll, I'll stick around for as long as you all need me for. I hope that you all come visit me at my office. All that you need to do is type office visit into the comment section, and I'll reach out to you for that. But in the meantime right now, all right, so somebody said, with the market shift you discussed, what categories of sellers do you see being the most motivated? That's a great question. Um, so anybody who inherits a house, that's almost always going to be like a must sell or almost always sell situation, which is why like, you know, probates and, and things like that are always, always very, very relevant. Um, there are going to be some people. Because there are there are more job losses now than there were before. So there are going to still be some people who are going to get behind on their mortgage. Some of those people are going to be motivated. Some of them aren't. Um, the typical stuff, again, like divorce is another one where, again, it's like, you know, typically court mandated. It's a have to thing. 
I think the thing that you want to think about when we talk about most motivated is who are the have to sell people. And the people that are like, you know, trying to improve their situation, this is the problem. A lot of them aren't going to be able to improve their situation by selling. Whereas in the past, somebody could, you know, upsize, they could downsize, they could, you know, do something. The other category that's hard to target is people that are going to move out of state. So this is another, you know, thing that plays into like where prices are going to head, but the demographic shifts. Um, and again, in an area like where I live in Boston, there's no great alternative and there probably won't be anytime soon. Like in the next few years, there's, it's probably not going to be a no-brainer to buy or a no-brainer to sell. It's kind of going to be going to be expensive in most areas. So what you know what we see a lot of in the properties that we buy is somebody you know selling and moving you know to a much lower cost state. Period. Um, so those are kind of the most motivated. Uh, somebody said, "Have prime land for sale in the Gold Coast overlooking New York City? Are you interested?" Um, I have no idea where that is. <laughs> so I guess, unfortunately, my answer would be no. Um, does anybody else have anything before we sign off? Again, I'm, I'm happy to stay here if there are any more questions, but I don't see anything else popping in. Um, biggest kind of takeaway, though, that I can say that I hope you all have. Number one, I hope that you all show up for the um, event that we're having in November, because by the time that November rolls around. It's only like a couple of months away. We will definitely have more insight as to the economic situation of what's going on. Um, we definitely have more insight than we did at our last event. And every couple of months that goes by, like the situation is getting a little bit more clear as to like what this shift is kind of like looking like. So the November event, I'll definitely be touching on the economic situation. Um, so again, register for that at www.agentinvestorevent.com. Um, but do everything in 30-day increments, right? Some of the stuff is a no-brainer if you're a long-term buy-and-hold person. It's just going to keep making sense. If you're doing more quick-turn stuff, you really have to pay much more attention. But again, you don't have to personally pay as much attention as you do just pay attention to us. I'll update you in November on exactly what we're doing. If the market either, you know, if, if something happens that I didn't expect, we'll definitely be talking about that in November. All right, guys. Well, thank you for tuning in. I appreciate everybody being on and I'll see you all more in the Facebook group. All right. Thanks. Thanks again for listening to the Agent Investor Podcast. And especially thank you for sharing the show with other agents and reviewing the show on iTunes. Every time you share the show and leave a review, you are potentially changing someone's life. To get free weekly education, strategies, and to connect with other agent investors across the country, join our free Facebook group at agentinvestor.com. Again, that's agentinvestor.com.